Today's broadcast originally aired on June 28, 2023. The evidence, the actual evidence, the facts tell us a different story. Well, then we know Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger used to care about facts and evidence. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. Whatever happened to him? I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in California, in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdon Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites. Blanketing Planet Earth, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and... All-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for another thrilling edition of the Bradcast. Good to have you all here. Coming up, uh, Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, you heard him there at the top, seen as a hero by some Desi Doyen for his <laughs> uh, refusal to uh, help Donald Trump steal the 2020 election in the state. Uh, well, he's on the warpath uh, against critics now, critics of his failure to secure his state's own voting system. And not just any critics, cybersecurity experts, some of experts. the top in the world. Yes, those he's, critics. He is on the warpath against them uh, with his office describing those cybersecurity and voting systems experts now as, quote, paranoiacs and conspiracists. Well, that's because they are concerned about his refusal to install security upgrades urgently recommended for the state's voting systems before the presidential election next year, recommended by the federal government's Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA. The paranoics at CISA? Correct. Uh, that, of course, following the, the discovery of huge vulnerabilities that we've reported many times on this show now, uh, but found in the state's voting systems and, of course, after the notorious and unlawful Coffee County breach of the state's voting system software by Team Trump MAGA loons the day after the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol. We will be joined by one such paranoiac and conspiracy uh, conspiracist that would be longtime election expert and uh, advisory board member of the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission. 
<laughs> Professor Philip Stark of UC Berkeley. He'll be here with us shortly. We will get his response to the madness in the Peach State. But first, following up quickly on our coverage yesterday of the U.S. Supreme Court's full-throated 6-3 to three rejection, including three right-wingers joining all the court's liberals, rejection of the Republican attempt to overturn hundreds of years of American election law, basically, by declaring the so-called independent state legislature theory to be legitimate. That's, of course, a fringe theory that cites the Constitution's election clause to claim that state legislators and only state legislators, legislatures, uh, are allowed to make any and all laws regarding federal elections in their states, and neither governors nor state constitutions nor even state supreme courts may tell them otherwise, may have any say in such unreviewable laws created by the legislature. Uh, you know, like, for example, voting to grant their electors slate to Donald Trump, even if the voters chose Joe Biden, as Team Trump tried to accomplish in 2020. Anyway, uh, that notion, thankfully, was rejected. That was the case, uh, more v. Harper, that I've been worrying about, telling you about for uh, a, a year now, and that the stolen, corrupted, and packed right-wing court, uh, had they voted against it, well, it would have been a disaster. So it came as a huge relief to me and a whole bunch of other voting rights advocates on Tuesday that they uh, rejected this uh, bonkers independent state legislature theory. It was also apparently a huge relief to the legendary, yes, extremely conservative and well-respected former federal judge Michael Ludig, who was first seated, I believe, by Ronald Reagan. He was repeatedly considered for the Supreme Court. Conservatives love him, or they used to. Uh, Judge Ludig tweeted in response to Tuesday's stunning SCOTUS opinion, quote, It would be impossible to overstate the enormousness of Tuesday's seminal U.S. Supreme Court decision in Moore v. Harper. Not only is it now the single most important constitutional case for American democracy since the nation's founding almost 250 years ago, it is also now one of the most important constitutional cases for representative government in America. Now, it's hard to understand how important this was because essentially the decision on Tuesday changes nothing. So it's a bit deceptive as to how important the decision actually was. Had the court decided the other way, as many had feared, we're talking about thousands of election laws and rules and procedures all across the country in all 50 states that would have been affected. And not just that, you know, it would codify basically the 2020 coup attempt, the efforts that uh, Trump and his lawyer John Eastman were trying to get states to send alternate slates of electors. This would have made that possible. It would have made that possible the next time. Right, in 2024. Along with, and from I there mean, on out. literally, just demolishing you know, 250 years of election laws in this country. That's what it would have done. That's why so many of us were freaked out when the Supreme Court even took up the case last year. 
And uh, frankly, why so many of us, uh, you know, who knew what was at stake had uh, the court ruled as many had worried that they would were just, you know, for the last year on pins and needles. They won't even accept a case to the court unless four people essentially agreed to take it. That meant there were at least four. You only need a majority of five to get this thing through. So there was reason to worry. And yet today, a sigh of relief, a big sigh of relief. And as important and correct as that majority opinion on Tuesday, thankfully, ultimately was, as written by Chief Justice John Roberts, of all people, with Trump-nominated justices Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett joining all three of the court's remaining liberals, as important and correct as that was, it should be noted that there were three justices who actually uh, voted the other way. As it turns out, they also happen to be the three justices on the Supreme Court who have been cited by investigative reporting in recent weeks of being shockingly corrupt. Now, you all know the story by now of Clarence Thomas's corruption by millionaire megadonor, Republican megadonor Harlan Crow, who showered him for decades with luxury vacations and travel, real estate deals, private tuition for Clarence's grandnephew, all of it undisclosed by Clarence Thomas, as required by law, by the way, on his annual disclosure forms. We also learned recently about Neil Gorsuch's undisclosed real estate transaction for a 40-acre plot of land in Colorado, on the market for years, but finally sold just days after he was seated on the high court. Sold to the chief executive, as it turns out, of a huge high-powered national law firm, which frequently argues cases before the high court. Gorsuch uh, uh, disclosed the transaction on his annual disclosure forms, but he didn't mention who it was sold to for some reason. And then more recently, last week, in fact, ProPublica reported on the sleazy tale of Sam Alito's free, undisclosed luxury fishing trip to Alaska and the private plane travel furnished by hedge fund vulture capitalist billionaire Paul Singer, whose companies have repeatedly come before the court with Alito never recusing himself from any of those cases. Well, this week, we learned a little bit more about Alito that I want to be sure to uh, share with you, this time from The Intercept, which reports that Martha Ann Baumgartner Alito, the wife of Justice Sam, in a lease on a 160-acre plot of land in Grady County, Oklahoma, entered into an agreement with Citizen Energy 3 for revenue generated from oil and gas obtained from a plot of hard scrabble land that she inherited from her late father. Before the lease was activated last year, a line in Alito's financial disclosures labeled, quote, mineral interests to be valued between $100,000 and $250,000. But because Citizen Energy 3 isn't currently implicated in any cases before the Supreme Court, Alito's holding in Oklahoma does not appear to pose any direct conflicts of interest. Well, that's good. But, the Intercept notes, this is Daniel Bogus Law, as it turns out, is <laughs> that's his the name. Journalist's that's his actual name. name, yeah. <laughs> 
uh, it, it does add context, as it turns out. Uh, to a political outlook that has alarmed environmentalists since Alito's confirmation hearing back in 2006 and cast recent decisions that embolden the oil and gas industry in a damning light. Uh, in May, Alito penned a majority decision in Sackett v. EPA, big case, important case, which radically scaled back the Clean Water Act, reducing its mandate by tens of millions of acres. The plaintiff's position in the case was backed by the American Gas Association, the American Petroleum Institute, and the Liquid Energy Pipeline Association. Prior to the uh, to targeting the Clean Water Act, Alito joined the court's other conservative justices in attacking another set of EPA powers that you may remember under the Clean Air Act in West Virginia versus EPA. Last year, the 2022 ruling gutted the EPA's ability to regulate greenhouse gas emissions from power plants, which we covered in some detail at the time. Which benefits fossil-fueled power plants <laughs> yep. like natural gas plants. Prior to the uh, lease in Oklahoma by his wife, Alito ruled on cases with the potential to impact gas and oil prices, both nationally and in Oklahoma. In 2015, Alito ruled with the majority to head off an attempt to block state antitrust laws from being applied to natural gas companies under the Natural Gas Act. The plaintiff in that case won OK. I guess that's one Oklahoma, the largest supplier of natural gas in Oklahoma, runs an active natural gas pipeline, as it turns out, through Sam Alito's plot in Oklahoma. Well, lucky for him that he ruled in their favor, I guess. In 2017, Alito delivered an address at the Claremont Institute. That's a right-wing think tank that further clarified his position on fossil fuels' role in climate change. He said, quote, carbon dioxide is not a pollutant. <laughs> Carbon dioxide is not harmful to human beings or to animals or to plants, he said. It's actually needed for plant growth. All of us are exhaling carbon dioxide right now, so if it's a pollutant, we're all polluting, he said. So Sam Alito is a climate science denier. Correct. I mean, that's pretty much the text of a press release that could have been, could have been published by the fossil fuel lobby oh, right yeah. there. It's their talking points. It's their talking points uh, uh, directly. And there is Sam Alito repeating that, uh, not, by the way, back in, oh, I don't know, uh, 1990 or 2000 or even 2006 when he came onto the court. But this was in 2017. Uh, just to give you an idea, if you're wondering where those decisions come from when you uh, hear these right wing decisions undermining the uh, EPA and supporting the uh, oil industry and delaying climate policies where yeah. possible. That's where it comes from. In 2021, Alito joined the majority in Penn East Pipeline Company, a natural gas distributor versus New Jersey to protect the right for companies to exercise eminent domain in the seizure of state property. Thanks to the Supreme Court ruling in that case, Penn East was able to preserve a tactic for pipeline construction, which, if overturned, would have significantly impacted the ability for the natural gas industry to expand pipelines and production 
you know, like to the stuff under Alito's wife's land in Oklahoma. Over the past two years, The Intercept notes Citizen Energy, who Alito's wife contracts with, has launched a buying spree of wells and land rights, positioning itself as one of the top private producers in Oklahoma. It operates over 200 miles of natural gas gathering pipelines, thanks to Sam Alito, and over 700 wells, and it also produces over 80,000 barrels of oil equivalent per day. Lots of money for Justice Alito and his wife in their revenue, and also lots of climate change that they're bringing to us all. And luckily, it seems the uh, corrupt Justice Sam Alito has their back, has the industry's back. If there was ever any question about it, well, he made that clear in his statements that sound like they're issued by the fossil fuel industry. They're talking points about carbon dioxide is good for us. We should have more of it. Uh, and, of course, his rulings in all of these cases. Just thought you should know, because, you know, for years, uh, these guys sitting on the courts have not disclosed so many of their interests, their trips, their lavish vacations, their gifts. And uh, now, uh, thankfully, and it's great to see folks like ProPublica, The Intercept, even Politico, Washington Post, finally digging in to what these uh, corrupt justices are actually about. Uh, these corrupt justices who apparently think they are above the law. They're not. They just act like it. All right. Uh, speaking of corrupt Republicans, let's take a quick break here and we'll be back with the latest obnoxious and dangerous corruption, courtesy of Georgia's Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, who seems dead set at this point on undermining next year's presidential election in the Peach State. You'd think you would have learned uh, from what happened uh, uh, back in 2020. Uh, all of this even as he today is supposedly testifying to special counsel Jack Smith about that last presidential election. Professor Philip Stark joins us next to respond to the madness now underway in Georgia. That's straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com. We fight for election integrity all year around, like no other media outlet in the nation. But of course, we need your help to help us remain on your public airwaves and completely independent. Please help us continue that fight over your public airwaves by stopping by Bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. You're listening to an encore presentation of the Bradcast. If you are traveling back to Georgia, won't you take me with you there? Or at least give my best to the Secretary of State. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. Georgia's Republican Secretary of State and, of course, my good friend Brad Raffensperger 
uh, was scheduled to be interviewed by federal investigators from special counsel Jack Smith's office on Wednesday, according to a report from The Washington Post on Tuesday. Raffensperger, according to the Post and later confirmed by others, was to be interviewed in Atlanta in what would be his first interview with Justice Department investigators. Smith's office reportedly subpoenaed Raffensperger and other state election officials back in December of last year. But as NBC News reports, that move was to require documents at the time rather than testimony. The Post also reports the interview was delayed by Smith's office several times, though no reason for that is given. Was it because they were gathering additional information or they were just busy with Smith's other case already filed against Donald Trump? That would be the 37-count felony indictment related to unlawfully retaining national defense information in violation of the Espionage Act? Well, we don't yet know, of course. The special counsel's other and very much ongoing probe relates to events surrounding the Trump-incited January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol and efforts to steal the election from the winning candidate, Joe Biden, in 2020. That appears to be uh, the matter about which Raffensperger was going to testify on Wednesday in Atlanta. You will recall that in a recorded phone call after the 2020 election, Trump, uh, as the then president, is heard strong-arming Raffensperger. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes which is one more that we have, which would have flipped Biden's win in the peach state to Donald Trump. The call prompted Georgia's Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis to launch an investigation into election interference attempts in the state. And she has signaled that she is likely to bring charges in that case against the former president, perhaps later this summer. Raffensperger appeared before the grand jury in that conspiracy case last year and before the bipartisan U.S. House Select Committee investigating January 6 last year. But it was the Republican secretary's refusal to bend to Trump's demands that he, quote, find the votes needed to steal the election from Biden in Georgia that has made Raffensperger somewhat of a hero to many including many on the left who are likely unaware of Raffensperger's duplicity when it comes to oversight of state elections and the impossible to oversee wildly vulnerable and unverifiable touchscreen voting systems made by Dominion that he began forcing all voters at every polling place in Georgia across the state to begin using as of 2020 after a federal judge in a long-running lawsuit ordered the state to stop using their vulnerable and unverifiable old touchscreen voting systems made by Diebold. Uh, many are also likely unaware of Raffensperger's apparent role in covering up the facts of the now notorious MAGA-run Coffee County, Georgia voting system software breach that occurred on January 7. 2021, just the day after the insurrection, as a mob of Sidney Powell organized so-called computer experts would be allowed into the elections office 
in rural, right-leaning Coffee County, Georgia, to illicitly and unlawfully make copies. Copies of Dominion's vulnerable proprietary voting systems and their central tabulator systems, and then share that software across the Internet with Lord knows who. We've been digging into that matter in depth here on the Bradcast and at bradblog.com, and we continue to do so, in particular digging into what did Brad Raffensperger know about that breach? When did he know it? And why does it appear anyway that he has been attempting to cover the whole thing up? To make it go away? To pretend as if his supposed MAGA critics don't now have access to the keys to the kingdom for the entire statewide voting system used across Georgia and, by the way, used in more than a dozen other states? Well, I do hope Jack Smith and his prosecutors ask Raffi about that during their interview with him in Atlanta. But, of course, all of this has served to cover up some very serious concerns about next year's presidential election in the critical battleground state. We have been far ahead of the curve on this story for years now. Uh, as we have been warning for years, even leading up to the 2020 elections about Raffensperger and the dangerous touchscreen voting systems he purchased for a whopping $150 million instead of selecting a much more inexpensive and far more verifiable hand-marked paper ballot system, as repeatedly advised by cybersecurity and voting systems experts. And we have stayed out in front of this story. We told you long ago about the report by plaintiff's expert, Dr. Alex Halderman of the University of Michigan, a longtime voting system and cybersecurity expert, which discovered vulnerabilities in the Dominion touchscreen voting systems that were so alarming that the federal judge in this long-running case sealed his report even from the plaintiffs who had hired him. She did, however, eventually allow the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, to review Halderman's report, after which CISA released an alert calling for immediate software upgrades for security reasons to Georgia's Dominion systems. Dominion went about creating uh, those patches and have had them certified by the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission, or EAC. By the way, they're the ones that didn't notice the vulnerabilities of the previous versions of the system in the first place. Uh, and when the federal judge in that long-running Curling versus Raffensperger case asked the Secretary of State's attorneys back in May whether their office had yet installed those CISA-recommended EAC-certified upgrades on the state's 70,000 or so voting and tabulation systems, the attorney stunned the court, as we reported the next day on this show exclusively, by informing the judge that they had decided to wait until after the 2024 presidential election. They would not install those upgrades, those critical security upgrades, until 2025. Now, that was more than six weeks ago, on May 10th, that we broke that news on this program with plaintiff Marilyn Marks of the Coalition for Good Governance. She's one of the plaintiffs in that curling case. We posted that day's broadcast at bradblog.com. 
under the headline, uh, quote, exclusive Georgia delays security fixes to touchscreen voting systems until after 2024 election. It would be more than a month later, on June 15, before the Associated Press eventually reported the same story, headlined, quote, critics blast Georgia's plan to delay software updates on its voting machines. A very good, if somewhat tardy, report by AP's Kate Brumbach, who is based in Atlanta. And then, more than a week later, when Politico's John Sacalariatis, in another very good report, uh, detailed what, what we had long ago reported in his piece, it was headlined, Brad Raffensperger's refusal to fix voting machine bugs sets up 2024 election fight. That echoed our coverage that was published more than six weeks prior. The Politico report, published last Friday, features a great big photo of Brad Raffensperger, and it appears to have had its headline subsequently changed for some reason to, quote, from election hero to zero. Georgia officials' dismissal of security audit could mean trouble in 2024. The focus of that story was placed on the refusal by Raffensperger's office to update their statewide voting systems before next year, even after the federal judge in the curling case had finally unsealed Dr. Alex Halderman's report that she had had sealed for two years. It was unsealed just two weeks ago. We discussed it on this program at the time with Georgia Tech's College of Cybersecurity founder Richard DeMillo. According to Politico's late but also very good coverage on Friday, uh, as well as our own reporting on this matter, the Secretary of State's office is now pushing back hard against critics of their refusal to upgrade their systems with the security patches suggested by CISA before next year. As Politico writes, for the second time in four years, Georgia's Secretary of State stands at the center of a fight over the legitimacy of a U.S. presidential election. Only now, Brad Raffensperger, the Republican who once stood up to Donald Trump's election fraud lies, is the one security experts see as the problem. In a letter sent to state lawmakers, Raffensperger argues that a newly unsealed audit finding that there are dangerous vulnerabilities in Georgia's widely used voting machine software is overblown and no fixes are actually needed. Quote, it's more likely that I could win the lottery without buying a ticket, unquote, than that hackers could flip enough votes to swing the election, he said in that letter. <laughs> but Raffensperger's dismissive reaction to the unsparing audit conducted by security expert Alex Holderman has turned him into an object of intense criticism from cybersecurity specialists who say that Raffensperger is painting legitimate research with the brush of far-right conspiracy theories and imperiling the 2024 election in the process. Quote, Raffensperger has lumped us with the election deniers, says David Jefferson, a computer scientist at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory and an expert on election technology, as well as a guest on this program many times over the years. But we cannot, out of fear of that confusion, he said, stop talking about these vulnerabilities. They are real. They are there and they must be addressed. 
The state has maintained throughout the court challenge against their systems that it has adequate controls to prevent fraud. But Raffensperger's letter to state legislators ramps up the rhetoric and shows that the fight for the legitimacy of the 2024 vote in Georgia is already underway. Quote, the paranoiacs and conspiracists of the world have their beliefs reinforced when they read reports of theoretical, quote, vulnerabilities that fail to mention the real world security measures already in place. That, according to Mike Hassinger, the spokesperson for the secretary of state's office, he added, quote, if the Ph.D.s don't like being put in the same category as the pillow salesman, tough nogies. They should stop saying similar things. Really? Tough nuggies? Alex Halderman, one of the world's top experts on voting system security, is now a paranoic conspiracist? Really? Is that why Judge Totenberg sealed his expert report from the uh, plaintiff's own team for two years? Raffensperger's decision not to fix these systems represents, quote, the height of irresponsibility, Halderman said in an interview with Politico. Even if there's no actual attack, you better believe there are people who are going to use the existence of these problems to call into question the results of elections. Overall, Halderman's audit uncovered nine serious vulnerabilities in Dominion software as confirmed by CISA, which issued its warning in June of last year. But Raffensperger's office argues that physical security of the systems is more than enough to protect next year's elections, despite that Coffee County breach, I guess, where Team Trump was invited in by the local board of elections to come on in, open, copy and share on the Internet all of the software used across the entire state of Georgia. Add to that, as Politico notes, our friend Harry Hursty, a cybersecurity and voting system expert who scours election systems to help companies find holes in them, once bought the very same Dominion voting machine used in Georgia off of eBay. <laughs> there's a, there's some uh, security for you. The uh, secretary and Dominion also cite a competing unsigned report from a nonprofit corporation known as MITRE, which also argues that physical security is enough to keep Dominion's voting system safe from malfeasance or I guess also from simple programming error. The MITRE review, quote, is fantasy, said Philip Stark, a professor at UC Berkeley who conducts research on election integrity. Stark organized a group of more than 20 election security experts to send a letter demanding that MITRE retract their study. Have they done so? Let's find out. Joining us now is paranoiac and conspiracist Philip Stark of UC Berkeley, longtime professor of statistics, inventor of the post-election risk-limiting audit protocol, and a member of the Board of Advisors for the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission, and, if I am not mistaken, an expert advisor to the curling plaintiffs, the uh, Coalition for Good Governance. Professor Stark, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. 
Thank you. How can I tell if this is the real broadcast since I'm paranoid? You can't know. You can never know, sir. It could be any Brad. I could be Brad Raffensperger, for that matter. Hey, right. can you can you give me some sort of uh, before we? I want to allow you to uh, respond to a lot of these critiques, but can you give me just very quickly, sort of a, a one or two line quick summary of the the you know the one or two most concerning vulnerabilities that was discovered in these systems by the uh, paranoid University of Michigan's uh, Alex Halderman in his now unsealed report? Well, it's been uh, uh, probably about a year since I've read the report, uh, mm-hmm. so things aren't fresh in mind. But um, among them was the finding that even voters have enough access to the ballot marking devices while mm-hmm. casting their votes to be able to inject malware uh, into those devices. Mm-hmm. Malware can be uh, injected into the devices at the level of the county so that they affect all of the machines in the county when they're being programmed for an election. Mm. The machines were left in a, after a recent upgrade, or upgrade uh, is in roughly 2020, if I'm recalling correctly, mm-hmm. the machines were left in a state that basically allowed people to do mischief. Just a lot of mishandling of things, not serious considerations of security in the actual architecture of the systems, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it, it, basically the finding that it takes very little physical access to yeah. carry out a lot of these attacks. Yeah, very little, uh, either by a single person at the county level can affect all of the machines in the county, uh, or even just a single voter, because every voter is forced to vote on one of these machines at the polling place, a single voter can <laughs> insert malware into the system. As to the... Yep. Uh, critiques uh, detailed by Politico. Um, well, first, you have a PhD, don't you, Philip? Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, not in anything relevant, but, you know. Well, that's all right, uh, since it sounds like this would be meant to apply to d- directly to you as well, then, given your PhD and your advocacy for the plaintiffs in the case. Uh, Raffensperger's very professional spokesperson calls you and Holderman and DeMillo and Marks, etc., quote, paranoiacs and conspiracists, noting, quote, if the PhDs don't like being put in the same category as the pillow salesman, reference to Mike Lindell there, um, tough noogies, they should stop saying similar things, unquote. Tough noogies? Would you like to respond uh, to to that uh, spokesperson there, Philip Stark? Yeah, if the spokesperson can't tell the difference between what we're saying and what the other group is saying, then they're not competent to do their job. Well, that's probably why they were hired. Raffensperger's letter to the uh, Georgia State Legislature, where both Democrats and Republicans now appear to be furious that Raffi is refusing to install the recommended security upgrades, uh, that charges that the state's Physical security of voting systems is more than enough to keep the uh, election safe next year. Raffensperger writes, quote, The Halderman report was the result of a computer scientist having complete access to the Dominion equipment and software for three months in a laboratory environment. We have to run elections in the real world, not just create conspiracies or hypothetical possibilities. Your thoughts on that? Well, um, let's split that into two pieces. The first is the access that is required in order to be able to develop an attack, to discover vulnerabilities and develop an attack. Mm -hmm. That takes some access, but access way beyond what 
Halderman and Springall had has already been obtained by the people who were in the Coffee County mm-hmm. uh, Elections Office. They were there for weeks of uninterrupted access. They copied all of the software from all of the devices, etc. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you mentioned before, it's possible to buy these devices on the Internet, as Harry Hursty has done. Mm-hmm. Devices, uh, some of the election equipment occasionally goes missing. Uh, for example, I understand that in uh, DeKalb County relatively recently, it was discovered that 19 poll pads had been stolen. <laughs> Uh, when the incoming election director uh, arrived in Coffee County, or actually this might have been uh, uh, an inspector, I'm forgetting who, but it was documented uh, mm-hmm. to the state that the equipment was being held in a room that had uh, an unlocked uh, exterior door, I believe, that the walls had holes in them. You could see daylight through the walls, etc. Yeah. Um, that's hardly physical security to keep the equipment safe. So getting access to these things for the purpose of developing malware, developing exploits is is really not hard. That that you know that that cow left the barn yep. for horse. Yeah. In the other direction, there's okay, now that you've developed uh, an attack, how much access do you need to carry out the attack? And there Halderman's report shows that Certainly an insider, uh, and we, we now know that there are corrupt insiders who might take advantage of their access to implant malware uh, that could change election outcomes on uh, equipment in their jurisdiction. Um, uh, and then individual voters, Halterman's uh, uh, report shows individual voters have enough access mm-hmm. to be able to implant malware on individual ballot marking devices during the course of voting. Uh, I mean, it's uh, hearing uh, hearing you rattle off how uh, Raffensperger, the chief that, you know, the top election official in the state who selected these machines, hearing how he is uh, seemingly just so very wrong about the facts and the evidence that he was so critical of, uh, you know, right wingers and Donald Trump for making up as they went to, you know, to claim that uh, Trump won the 2020 election there now playing fast and loose with the facts and the evidence himself is maddening. Politico reports uh, ask about the attacks identified in the Holderman report. A Dominion spokesperson said that, quote, our customers certified systems remain secure thanks in part to the many robust operational and procedural safeguards that exist to protect elections. What are they even referring to there? And and should any of that give voters in Georgia and the rest of us watching Georgia's elections uh, next year any confidence in these systems? Well, I, I kind of wonder who isn't living in the real world here, because regardless of what the policies might be in the real world, the security policies are not being carried out, mm-hmm. um, as is well documented in Coffee County and elsewhere. So uh, in the real world, there, there really are these vulnerabilities. Kevin Scoglin said it uh, really beautifully mm-hmm. in, uh, in a message recently that, that their attitude is as if a company that has serious cybersecurity deficiencies can remedy that simply by creating a strongly worded policy. <laughs> yes. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, I have been uh, covering uh, voting systems and these concerns for some 20 years now. And to hear this coming from both Dominion and the Secretary of State's office, it is like deja vu. I was hearing this stuff 15, 20 years ago. We would come out with, as a matter of fact, uh, Halderman uh, worked on one of the original <coughs> original. Uh, 
analyses of a Diebold voting system, the one that was finally uh, uh, banned by the federal judge in Georgia just two years ago, leading to these uh, new systems. I've been covering for 20 years, and every time these vulnerabilities are shown, we see the voting machine companies and the election officials come out and claim, oh, that's not a real-world uh, issue. The physical uh, security uh, will take care of these things. And yet they have been proven wrong year after year after year, and we're hearing it still 20 years later. I can only imagine how uh, my producer Desi Doyen feels in uh, covering uh, climate change under those same conditions. But there was a competing review of Dominion's software, sort of, conducted by the nonprofit MITRE Corporation that is being cited by both Dominion and Raffensperger. Raffensperger claims uh, the, the, this MITRE report supports him, that the report concluded that Halderman's attacks were, quote, operationally infeasible due to the physical controls in place in the state and the low likelihood of flipping enough votes to make an impact. That was the claim from MITRE. Your response to their report? Well, first of all, they're, they're just wrong. But I, I kind of wonder what their instructions were uh, when they were given this contract. I conjecture that they were told to assume that those protections were in place I, I doubt they did any independent research to determine whether, in fact, there were effective protections in place. Mm. Um, I, I kind of liken this to, to saying it's completely fine to drive a car on, on bald tires as long as you have a policy of only driving straight on dry pavement and <laughs> uh, never turning sharply right. or, or applying the brakes. Right. It's like, yeah, except that that's not how it actually works in practice. Right. Um, and here it's very, very clear that the assumption that there is rigorous physical security around these devices is just not true. I, I know that uh, you and a group of other uh, uh, experts in this matter have asked MITRE to uh, retract their report since apparently it was unsigned. Uh, they didn't even have whoever whoever put this together didn't even have the, the uh, confidence in it, I guess, to put their name on it and apparently did not even study the actual voting systems, uh, according to Holderman. Uh, have you heard back from them uh, concerning this request that they pull this report back since it's so dubious at this point? Uh, the, the, a, a conversation has started, but I, I, I can't really say more than that. Okay. Um, I do want to correct the record in that I'm somehow being credited as having organized this list of, uh, of experts. Uh, I, I, I helped but I'm, I'm by no means the only person who was involved. The uh, Hassinger, that's the uh, Raffensperger spokesperson, he argued that the incident in Coffee County uh, that, that you cited, that I cited, that that was an exceptional case of, of criminal wrongdoing. We shouldn't worry about that. That's not the sort of thing that happens. Uh, and, and besides that, he said the Secretary of State cannot make hand-marked paper ballots more available than they already are. If you're in Georgia, you can use one by voting, uh, uh, vote by mail, but not at the polls. But they, they can't do any more without support from the state legislators, but that the state does plan to check for signs of software tampering ahead of the 2024 election. So there is that. Should we feel any better due to that, Philip Stark? 
Uh, no, for a variety of reasons. At best, even if that process worked perfectly, it would just confirm that the vulnerable software was, was installed on the, on the systems. <laughs> but beyond that, uh, methods for what's called self-attestation, a uh, piece of software kind of saying, yep, I'm the right software, mm-hmm. those can be circumvented by malware. And, you know, at the end of the day, these are, these are still BMDs, and BMDs are not a way of creating a trustworthy record of voter preferences. Mm. The paper that is printed out by a BMD is a record of what the machine did, and that's not necessarily a record of what the voter did or saw or intended. And, and, I, and so, I should, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, so, no, I think that, that that's a distraction from the actual security issue, the actual trust, trust issue. And, of course, a, a BMD is a ballot-marking device, a computer that essentially marks your ballot, takes the place of a pen, which seems like it would be a lot cheaper and a lot safer. But, you know, even if the curling plaintiffs uh, and Marilyn Marks are successful in their case, they're able to somehow get an order from the judge to move to hand-marked paper ballots in Georgia next year, uh, they would still be tallied by Dominion's optical scan systems. Won't, won't those systems uh, also vulnerable? You know, since they were also part of the Coffee County breach, w- w- wouldn't that uh, still be a problem in in uh, in any event next year? Yeah, uh, any optical scan system or other electronic means of tabulating ballots and even mm-hmm. hand counting votes are subject to errors, malfunctions, malware, bugs, all kinds of stuff. That's why it's important to audit election results. In order to audit the election results, though, you have to have a trustworthy record of the vote. And it's pretty clear from the 2020 election that uh, Georgia, regardless of what their policies are, actually doesn't have good physical control of their ballots, Mm -hmm. memory cards, and other voting materials. Mm -hmm. Um, There are examples uh, in uh, Fulton County, of ballots that were included in the tally two and three times Mm. um, and ballots that are evidently missing from the tally. They don't have good physical inventories of even the number of ballots. They don't have adequate reconciliation of the number of ballots received versus the number of voters who participated in the election. It's just an absolute mess. So even if they did rigorous audits using the paper trail that they've created, even if they had hand-marked paper ballots, those audits wouldn't be probative because of a lack of physical security, reliable chain of custody, et cetera, around, uh, around the ballots and other voting materials. Now, um, when, when you now, say... Yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Ramble on a little bit further. That's all right. uh, Georgia uh, recently weakened its already anemic audit law so that uh, now they're kind of decoupling the audits in different counties. So there is no way for Georgia to effectively audit statewide contests. And they're no longer apparently requiring a risk limiting audit. Their audit law only requires an audit once every two years of one contest. And you need to be auditing every contest in every election. Yep. <laughs> It is kind of mind-blowing, but when you say, uh, Philip, that, you know, in Atlanta there was uh, some cases where some ballots were uh, counted two or three times, I mean, one of the concerns that you know, many Democrats have expressed, and, and believe me, I hear from them when I report on, on a story like this, you know, is that citing any vulnerabilities, any problems with these voting systems simply feeds into the hands of the MAGA conspiracy loons who claim that 2020 was stolen to 
despite any evidence to support that claim. Politico wrote, for example, uh, poking holes in systems or talking about them can, of course, fuel the same conspiracies that election security experts say they are now trying to stop. And uh, the story goes on to quote one uh, none other than uh, Donald Trump, who posted on his social media site in all caps in response to a story on the release of the Halderman report, quote, the election was rigged. So doesn't your critique and those from Halderman and Marilyn Marks and Rich DeMillo and et cetera, et cetera, feed into those actual paranoics and conspiracists false claims? Well, I'm going to answer a slightly different question, which is, first of all, there is a world of difference between this system is Swiss cheese from a perspective of security. Mm -hmm. It's really vulnerable and you need to harden it. And the election was rigged and the wrong person was announced to have won. That's just not the same claim at all. Mm -hmm. Secondly, the idea that we should stop pointing out vulnerabilities and trying to improve the trustworthiness of voting systems uh, because someone might twist our words. It, I mean, the argument seems to be you should lie to people in order to increase their trust in you. That seems to me perverse. Yes. I mean, what we, what we want is justified public trust in the outcome of elections. Mm -hmm. We don't want trust in untrustworthy elections. Trustworthiness needs to come before trust. Are you one of those uh, calling on Raffensperger to upgrade the touchscreen systems with this uh, with this supposedly uh, new software from uh, Dominion before next year? Yeah, I mean, I, I, that would be an improvement. Going to uh, hand-marked paper ballots as the default in polling places would be a much, much bigger improvement. Mm -hmm. Insisting on serious chain of custody and physical accounting or ballots memory cards, voting machines, um, and, and other, you know, other election materials, I think, is, is absolutely crucial. Um, they basically are just not doing the shoe leather work of securing their elections yeah. and kind of pretending that uh, having policies solves the problem. Finally, uh, Philip Stark, are the, uh, are the facts of these concerns that we've been talking about for the last 30 minutes or so, the, the very real concerns, are they getting out to the public or is Raffensperger and his crew sort of winning the PR here by calling you, you know, conspiracists and uh, using words like tough noogies? Are, you know, are, are they winning this one or are we getting the, the, you know, the actual facts and evidence as Raffensperger once believed in out to the public? Um, I, I think they're running a very effective PR campaign. Uh, they have us outgunned uh, on, on that front. I hope that people who really care about these issues will look under the hood at least a little bit and understand that there's a world of difference between the report that MITRE generated, as you mentioned, unsigned without having had access to the equipment, mm -hmm. making uh, completely false assumptions about physical security, that was never vetted uh, through any kind of peer review, hasn't gone through the scrutiny and pushback that an expert report would in actual litigation, mm -hmm. uh, that somehow that's on a par with uh, the meticulous work that was done by Halderman and Springall in, in producing their report, which was subject to the rigors of cross-examination, mm -hmm. et cetera, mm -hmm. was done in a scientific manner uh, instead. So the MITRE report, I, I think, is... Uh, you know, wrong, and it's a fluff piece, and it's just not, just isn't science, and the uh, the Halderman report is. 
And yet there's a false equivalence that they make between the two of them. Uh, their report says this, but our report says otherwise. So no worries. Yeah. Right. Uh, very and, frustrating. And my, yeah. And if my grandmother had wheels, she'd be a school bus. There you go. Philip Stark, conspiracist, paranoiac, and as it turns out, professor at University of California in Berkeley and a longtime election expert. Not afraid to point out facts or even correct Georgia's Secretary of State when, well, as Raffensperger used to say, The evidence, the actual evidence, the facts tell us a different story. Thank you, uh, Philip. You can find him and uh, his work on the Twitters at Philip B. Stark. Always great speaking with you, my friend. Hope to do it again soon. Likewise. Take care. Thanks for having me on the show. Thank you. You know, I have to say it is really still shocking to me that Brad Raffensperger, Secretary of State of Georgia, is basically setting up the same conditions for people to not have confidence in the 2024 election. Why would you do that? I mean, I get that nobody likes to be held accountable for their mistakes, but Raffensperger spent what? $150 million. $150 million on this this system, this extremely vulnerable system that Mm -hmm. he now says he just can't manage to update it or patch it with upgrades and security updates in time 18 months before the election. Well, I think one of the reasons is it's going to cost uh, the state of Georgia, which has already spent about $150 million, going to cost them about another $75 million to upgrade 70,000 pieces of equipment across the state that they just spent $150 million on, what, you know, two years ago. Yeah, he, he got a boondoggle. Yes, he did. He screwed it up and... He's fighting accountability for uh, that. Yeah, and uh, exactly. Even if something doesn't go wrong, what was it uh, one of the experts had said that even if things don't go wrong, even if everything's fine, even if there is no malware, no attacks, because of the vulnerabilities not being patched, it's going to allow these same... Folks to basically say, uh, well, we don't know. Was it stolen or not in Georgia? And all over all again. All over again. I, 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 hope, I hope Raffensperger enjoys his um, testimony to Jack, uh, Jack Smith today. <laughs> all right, we got to get out. Uh, my thanks again to Philip Stark of UC Berkeley, to our producer Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, or you just want to share it with someone, you can always download it for free at bradblog.com. No paywall there. Thanks to those of you who are kind enough to drop by bradblog.com donate to uh, sign up for a subscription and help us keep reporting this critical stuff that needs to get out there. Drop me an email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, you'll find me at the Brad Blog. We'll see you at all of the above. Until we see you here next time, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. listening to the Bradcast. We are 100% listener supported thanks to listeners like you who drop by bradblog.com/donate.